Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're talking about David Fincher in our own director's analysis on our first quarantine show. And here to join us during quarantine, in our own separate homes, by the way, <laughs> is Lillian Snyder. Hi, Lillian. That's me. Hello. Hey. How have y'all been? It's been a couple weeks. Yeah. Our show's been put on hold. Unfortunately. You can call but... me Travi Claus. <laughs> Fortunately, we've figured it out. We're using a software that lets us record remotely. So, I mean, I still haven't seen you guys in a while, but it's nice to hear your voices. Aw. It's not mutual. I'm sorry. Um, so, the news. Damn. Oh, my God. Why do you say that? I don't know. It's going to make me cry. I'm going to cry on air, and I can't even cut mm-hmm. it out. One take. No. One take only. Anyway, the news. Go ahead, Ryan. So, the box office show, and there is no box office. So, for that, we have nothing to report. But there is still a lot of movie news. And the biggest are all the movies that have been delayed because of the pandemic. And we have a whole list here. I'm just going to shout out some of the ones we have. Do it. A Quiet Place. That was supposed to be in March. It's now in September. Black Widow. That was supposed to drop in like a couple weeks. That is now November. Candyman. Fast and Furious. That got moved to next year. Into uh, Into the Heights got moved into the next year. <laughs> Minions Rise of Groot. Into the Heights. Next Man, year. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, no Time to Die. Oh. Got moved to November. Can't wait to watch Top that. Top Gun got moved to December. Mulan and Wonder Woman. Those, uh, Mulan was supposed to come in March. Wonder Woman was supposed to come in June. Both of those are now still in summer. Mulan is July 24th. Wonder Woman's August 14th. And so hopefully theaters are going to be reopened by then. Uh, it looks like it's going to be that way. But those are going to be the movies to sort of test out the waters and see if people are comfortable going back to the theaters. Certainly, there's probably going to be some measures in place that, you know, keep people seated at least two or one seat apart mm-hmm. um, from strangers. But, yeah, to see how the pandemic will affect those movies, even when places reopen again, that'll be interesting to see. And unfortunately, um, Scoob has been moved to digital release, so none of us will be able to see that in theaters. Yeah. Dang, where's my Oscar Scoob. nom? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, actually, the Oscars made a changing recently that movies that were released uh, on demand are still in competition because the good segue. Are good I mean, segue. Yeah. So I remember that. But they um, had to have had a planned movie. a planned theatrical release, which is why. Yeah. For, yeah, I think so. Probably. No, that that is. I'm telling you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but anyway, as I was saying. Segwaying from digital releases is Scoop the digital will not release... be in the running for a nomination. <laughs> <laughs> the, digi- <It's laughs> the digital release for Trolls Two, which has created the Cinema Wars. AMC has declared war against Universal because <laughs> of Trolls Two World Tour. That that's a fact. So Trolls Two, 
um, which Lily, did you see that? No, because Alejandro, no, Alejandro and I made a pact to see it together, and we cannot see it together, and so we will not see it until we can see it together. Wow, it's amazing. Honestly, so you were not one of the people who bought it for premium video on demand. Did not, uh, but a lot of people 19, were. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety nine for renting for forty eight hours, uh, and that got ninety five million in nineteen days. Which, because it's on streaming and not through theaters, the studios get a much larger cut. So that's about $77 million in revenue, which is a lot. So the CEO for NBC Universal said, let me get more of that, even when theaters reopen. So they're going to try and do more of those premium uh, video-on-demand things where they send some movies straight to uh, platforms for streaming. And AMC said, how dare y'all? They will no longer play Universal films in their theaters. Period. And they're like the second biggest theater system people. Thank you, Chain. Which is crazy. So, I mean, Universal is hopefully going to start making going to video on demand if they're being blacklisted like that. I mean,. What do y'all, what's your opinions on this? Who do you think's at fault? Who's getting hurt the most by this? I mean, theaters are just, or not theaters, studios are just not realizing, hey, I guess we don't need theaters to make money. We can make it on our own and not have someone taking such a huge cut of our profits like the theaters would. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more people shifting to video on demand, like uh, streaming services or just like, like putting it up for 48 hours for 10 bucks, things like that which is a bit of a bummer. It might lead to a downturn in the theater industry, which is already sort of happening with streaming services, but not that much. I mean, st- people still want to go see the big blockbusters, and that's how the theaters are, like, surviving, is because they're never on, like, streaming services. Yeah, so. I hope I hope it's, like, a device to, like, start negotiations. I hope that this is not going to be, like, final like it, it seemed really drastic, yeah. Um, but if that holds, then that means films like Jurassic World yeah. three, Fast and Furious nine, Minions: Rise of Gru, those things you will not be able to see in an AMC theater. That doesn't really affect horrible. us, but yeah, as a regal, regal builders, yeah. Regal. I don't, but that's still crazy. And Regal also issued their own like warning where they said, "Hey." That's unacceptable. But then they said, we'll still play your movies, don't worry. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is that, like, some people, the people who still want to see Universal movies in theaters, like, AMC is now losing money on, like, that margin of people. So it's it's a really interesting way to play it. And I... I I just so hope that there, that this is a negotiation tactic. This is I don't, I don't see it. Like I don't think they take all the universal business and they just clean up. AMC starts but, shutting down theaters. Regal buys them from them. Regal takes over. Regal is extreme. See, I think though it will be interesting because Scoob is a Warner Brothers film, so they're sending that. Um, Disney, they have just sent things to their streaming service, so they haven't done anything yet. But if more studios started doing the premium video on demand, then AMC would like 
they wouldn't be able to say to every single studio, hey, you're cut off. So right now, I don't know which way it'll go if more studios will try and join up with Universal and do what they're doing or if they're going to respect the theater industry that we've had for decades and decades now. It'll be interesting to see. <laughs> what a crazy well, thing. Oh, yeah. In other news, we got some heads up about a new Transformers film coming in 2022. I don't know how that to feel about it. true. <laughs> I have stopped watching Transformers movies after the first one. So After the first one. If you're, if you're a fan <laughs> of the... Yeah. You never saw the second one? No. I, don't, really? I barely remember the first one. Are you kidding? Rowdy. Was Dark Side of the Moon Rowdy? the third one? Yeah, I remember that. Okay. I've only seen the first one and then Dark Side of the Moon. And that's it. Well, I mean, they make money, so there you go. They do make money, so that's, yeah, that's why we're getting another one in the post-corona world. But today is May the 4th, so we got some Star Wars news. Takai Watiti is coming out. It was announced that he will direct a new Star Wars film that will be for cinemas. No Disney Plus for him. Hmm. I wonder what yeah. I'm hoping the best for it, but I don't know if like the Thor Ragnarok kind of <laughs> feel would fit a Star Wars movie. Guys, thoughts on Love and Thunder? What the name or? I mean, its existence. Yeah, I'm excited for that movie because yeah. I think Takeaway TT makes good Thor movies. I think that Ragnarok. <laughs> I really like Ragnarok, but. I don't know how that would transfer over to a Star Wars. But I'm sure he'd do something different. Brad, have y'all heard? Like, Brandon, you know what? He did direct a few episodes of The Mandalorian, and they were good. So I'm actually going to hold out hope. <laughs> what, <what's that>? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> anyway, you're saying, like Lillian? A Walter Ponson. I don't remember. I lost all sense of brain. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Mm. What do you think about Take away TT directing you Star Wars film, Ryan. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. I agree with you that uh, the Thor Ragnarok kind of style, I don't know if that'll transfer very easily, but he did direct, I think it was the finale of The Mandalorian. And I thought that was the best episode of The Mandalorian. So, yeah, I'm holding out hope for that. And the co writer is supposed to be Christy Wilson Cairns, who co wrote. 1917 and the forthcoming last night in Soho that your boy Edgar Wright is on. So Ooh. that'll be, I mean, that's looking pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. In other news, breaking news, um, we haven't gotten to talk about this a lot. Have you guys seen um, Tiger King on Netflix yet? Oh, gosh. My mom yeah. did. I did not. Well, there's some breaking news here. They've started production at amazon on a miniseries and they have cast joe exotic who is it wild can you guess brad Brad pitt Pitt. (laughs) it's it's not brad pitt it's it's joe dirt it's even better it's nicholas cage no oh my gosh there's no way oh my god how old is nicholas cage what's the last thing nicholas cage did he stole the Declaration of Independence. I genuinely think that's the last thing he did. Name one other thing he was in since then. He made a movie in 2018 called Mandy. I what? know that. He did do that, and that was supposed to be good. 
Yeah. What? Or at least better than his normal stuff. Joe <laughs> Exotic. That's yeah. insane. I'm very excited. I think he could do it. That's I can so see scary. It. it is scary, but <laughs> it's excited. Now, is that confirmed? Like he is um, doing it or he's in It's talks? according to an article by Variety that he has been cast as Tiger King, the Tiger mm-hmm. King himself, and that the showrunners are the people who created American Vandal on Netflix, which is a great oh, series. I love American Vandal. Have you seen it? Yeah. Both seasons, okay. brother. <laughs> Based so on her cool. loving it, I think she did. Well, yeah, I watched it actually about this time last year. End of school. It's a great series. Anyway, according to our script, we're going to move on to our main topic, which is the man himself, David Fincher. Correct. Let's get some background information on him, Dylan. Wait, play the music. I don't have music. He's got to put it in post. Stop. Um, It's a post thing. I can't do it here. uh, It's just me with a laptop, man. I'm not, I don't have uh, the studio here. This is the part where he'll put the music over. Guys, I was trying to think of the theme Uh, for uh, Alien, but all I could think of is the (laughs) (laughs) X-Files. It's, um, oh my God. I don't know the theme for Alien. Ryan knows the theme to Terminator (laughs) 2. Stop. (laughs) That's not even a theme. It's... It's just air. Anyway, David Fincher was born in Colorado and later grew up in California and oh. Oregon. Yeah. How are you going to cut to that? How are you going <laughs> to? It's going to be your brains. There's no way. Anyway. I'm trying room. to cut you <laughs> off. His mother was a nurse and his father was an author. More on that later. In California, he was neighbors with George Lucas. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? Of Lucas Films? Of Star Wars on May the 4th? Yes. Wow. Indiana Jones? We really planned this. We said we have to do it a month later, so it's exactly on May the 4th, so that that when we bring up George Lucas with David Fincher, it'll perfectly relate. Exactly. He later worked for Lucas as an assistant cameraman on Return of the Jedi and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I think is a good movie, even though a lot of people don't. Is that the second one? Yes. Is that the one with his dad? No, that's the third one. Dang. Oh, that's the Crusade. Yeah. I prefer the Crusade. Okay. I think that was my favorite. Well, anyway, Fincher went on to found Propaganda Films, which is his production company with other producers and directors and they focused on making music videos and like some film production uh by 1990 they were producing a third of all music videos in the united states can you believe that that's so many david fincher himself directed a bunch of these music videos wait can you name some yes hang on any that i would know i think he directed the vogue music video yeah he directed madonna's vogue music video oh my god um, some for Aerosmith, Paula Abdul, some other Aerosmith. Madonna ones. All kinds. Oh, dang. He met Steve Winwood. Who? Legendary. You didn't know Steve Winwood? Um. You know what? Never mind. Anyway, he was hired to replace Vincent Ward, who was originally going to direct Alien 3. And that went on to be his first feature film, which he reportedly hates. Yeah, yeah. It was the studio's vision and his his clash his vision clashed with theirs and the final film is a product of neither of their visions. And so he hates Alien Three. We all hate Alien Three. Yes. 
we don't We've blame him for on. that. Though. We don't blame him. It was We've his first on. his first try, and it wasn't. It wasn't his fault. He, he's very well redeemed in his other movies, and so and this his little baby is okay. He made we up for him. it right after in the nineties by making his next film, The Game, in nineteen ninety seven, and then Fight Club, the big Fight Club Yo. in nineteen ninety nine, which we're going to talk about later. Other films of his include Panic Room in 2002, Zodiac in 2007, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button in 2008, The Social Network in 2010, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2011, and Gone Girl in 2014. He is also the executive producer on House of Cards, Love, Death, and Robots, and Mindhunter, all on Netflix, which are streaming now. You can watch all of them. (laughs) I love Mindhunter, by the way. I don't know if you guys have started watching it. Second season is so good. It's like ridiculous. Like the, the... Last episode gave me nightmares. I couldn't sleep. Nightmares. I'm a 20 year old man. It was <laughs> scary. What? 20. Wait, Don's not what? 20 yet. I'm almost 20. You got a couple it, months there. Wow, he really did the roundup. <laughs> He's currently filming his next movie, which is called Mank with Gary Oldman. The movie was written by Fincher's late father, Jack Fincher, and is the about author? Herman Mankiewicz. Yes, the author. <laughs> He's an author, and he wrote a screenplay called Mank about Herman Mankiewicz, who was the one of the writers on Citizen Kane, and he was part of the development of Citizen Kane. Oh. And it never got made for the longest time, and David Fincher is now making his late father's movie. That's kind of sweet. In his memory, yeah. And Gary Oldman is going to be playing the lead character. And here's something that I think is <laughs> very interesting about Gary Oldman and David Fincher. Tell it. They both have the same ex-wife. Ooh. Yes. Who is it? Oh, I don't know. Some random lady. What? Dylan? It's Donya Fiorentino. What does she do? I don't know. What? She <laughs> marries David Fincher and Gary Oldman. I don't he know. didn't marry her. How's he supposed to know? <laughs> Come with your name again, Florentino. It is Donya Fiorentino. F-I-O-R-E-N Tino, like Quarantino. <laughs> also, did you guys know that Gary Oldman has had five wives? Uh, no. No. I also didn't know that. Leslie Manville, Uma Thurman, Donya Fiorentino, <gasps> Alexandra Edinburgh, and Giselle Schmidt. Five. Is he currently married to anyone? He's currently married to Giselle Schmidt. I listed them in order. Ah, uh, good for them. He's holding out. He's got. He's still got it. Anyway, I looked up some more about David Fincher's influences, getting back to the real topic. And he's influenced by these few movies in a lot of what he does. Um, All the President's Men, Taxi Driver, Rear Window, Zelig, Paper Moon, Lawrence of Arabia, American Graffiti, Donya Fiorentino is a, is a, a model turned photographer. She met... I don't know if you're allowed to disclose this information. It says she met Gary Oldman at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Why would you... That, Bro, Anonymous is in the title. Why would you do her like that? Um, they Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I can definitely see a lot oh, of like no. Hitchcock things in his work. What? Oh my gosh. She got she got rheumatoid arthritis and then became hooked on painkillers and then she spiraled into booze and became addicted to cocaine. This is so sad. I wish I did know this. <laughs> they married in 97 and filed for divorce in 01. 
Oh, in 2001, Danya accused Gary of beating her with a phone handset. Allegations he denies. I tried to dial 911. Gary grabbed the receiver and hit me in the face with it three or four times. It happened a long time ago, but was incredibly traumatizing to me because he hit me in front of the kids. Damn. Why is every guy? What? <laughs> David Fincher has been nominated for two Academy Academy Awards for directing The Social Network and Benjamin Button, and three Golden Globes for directing Gone Girl as well as the other two. And that's all my background on David Fincher. Well, there you go. All right. Are you okay? You all right, William? Why everybody got to be a wife beater? Can I just get one man in Hollywood who does not beat his wife? Well, apparently David Fincher. <gasps> David Fincher, please don't let me down. <laughs> Are you looking it up now to see? Anyway, <laughs> to add to his anyway, background. so we're, we decided to only pick a few of his movies to talk about, so we could really dive deep into these movies. And I let Lillian pick them because this is her episode; it's her favorite director, and she picked first he off. He gave me three, and I picked five. <laughs> this is true, but we're going to start <laughs> with the three main ones, which is. Starting with one of his first movies, Seven. 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 Okay, but how do y'all, when y'all type out Seven, do you put the Seven in the no. for the V? No. Seven. So I've seven. seen it written that way, but I just write the word Seven. Well, anyway, it stars Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Dating at the time? Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow Brad and Brad Pitt were dating <laughs> at Freeman the time. I was going to say, it's right after Morgan Freeman, and I was like, you no, wrote like this in the Brad script? Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow dating at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you can see clear. why I got confused. All right, listen. Bro, they were married. Y'all knew this. Y'all been, no. I know, I think Brad Pitt just falls in love. He just plays the character so hard that he falls in love with every single one of his co-stars. Prove me wrong, guys. That's why he's such a good actor. He, fell he commits. Leonardo, Jennifer Aniston, um, Angelina Jolie, Gwyneth Paltrow. This man is Jennifer Connelly. No, not Jennifer Connelly. Who's the other lady? D- Jennifer Aniston. One... No, 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 not Jennifer Aniston. The one that was in um... oh, Angelina Jolie. That movie with Robert De Niro, where he plays Cape Fear. Oh, she was Kate in Kate Fear. Uh, Juliette Lewis. Thank you. You're I'm welcome. Sure you dated Juliette Lewis. I, I can either confirm or deny. She was anyway. also in the movie we watched in editing, Ryan. The one with Woody Harrelson, the crazy one. Uh, Natural Born Killer? Yeah. No, 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 no. He's talking about Venom. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> Did I get any movies? But anyway, why do you love Seven, Lillian? Huh? Okay, let me start off with... <laughs> okay, I watched Seven recently. Like, okay, not super recently, but like a year ago. And I was like, holy shoot. there, There's some, like, cringe dialogue in this movie. I don't know. Like, the, Name the first time I saw it... Bro, literally, like, half of Brad Pitt's lines what are just, like, baby. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's an iconic line. Don't touch it. But, um, bro, like, pull up the script and I will show you. It's been it's been too long, so I can't quote it. But some of them are just like very, like, very much. Brad Pitt is a is a young, eager detective, and and some of his lines are just like super super cheesy. Of like, 
come on, man, don't you want to get the guy? Or, like, stuff like that. Um, but it's a very, it's a very, like, bleak movie. It's about the seven deadly sids. A murderer, a murderer is conducting murders a la the seven deadly sins. Um, and I, I really like, you know, like, detective movies, criminal minds. Um, those are, those are fun. Always a, always a thrill. Um, bro, what gets me is that okay so kevin spacey's in this movie and we do not we no longer stand kevin spacey but i think a really cool part of the movie is where kevin Spacey. well you don't know it's kevin spacey but you see the guy and he's like taking pictures at the crime scene and and they almost catch him then but then they don't and so it's a fun little easter egg <laughs> eagle-eyed viewers will notice that that <laughs> kevin spacey was actually visible earlier before they find out who he is um but then it, it's a very it's a very sad movie it ends very sad it's just kind of like a very bleak like outlook on life morgan freeman is kind of like stuck but i i think it's a good movie i love the it's a it's definitely a mood a mood for when you I were remember, feeling that mood i remember watching it and being like legit scared because I watched it when I was like 12 or 13 for the first time. And I remember being scared watching the part with um, the victim who's Sloth, who's like lying in the bed. And they think he's dead, but he's not. He like jumped. Oh, oh yeah. Insane. And Dang. it's got the guy from Scrubs who's like leading the charge. Who? The the doctor from Scrubs. Oh, oh, the... um, um Who's always a military guy one? in every other thing. Yeah. The What's his name? It has like John C. McGinley. Yeah, um, name his doc his his like nickname is something. I don't remember, but it's John yeah. C. McGinley, and he's like leading the charge, and he's I don't know why he's always like an army guy in every other movie. He's good at it. He's good in this movie for the brief bit he's in. <laughs> yeah, honestly, he played the sloth guy. Well, yes, he did. Well, no, he wasn't the sloth guy. Oh, he was the. Okay. He was one of the people who was leading the raid. Yeah, when SWAT comes in. Yeah. Oh what yeah. And also, also like very the journals. Those are crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just a very, very encapsulating. It's just so sad because like Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Pitt are so like optimistic. They're like a new life, a new whatever, and and Morgan Freeman's just like, get out of this city, man. It's this is not, and it's raining. Oh, that was a. F- I remember reading that. It's like raining the entire movie. Like there's not one bit of sunshine in the entire movie until the very end, which is wild. Um, but they like purposely. That was rough to film because they had to make it cloudy. Yes, I'm sure. Dylan, what was your favorite aspects of this film? Favorite? Um, I remember watching it when I was a little kid. So like. It's not my favorite movie nowadays, but I really liked it when I first watched it, and I still like it now. I agree. And it's probably because of how like dark and edgy it was, <laughs> and and just emo it's still good, <laughs> but it's very much like that dark detective story that like yeah. has all the real looking murders, even though they're a little bit exaggerated, and like the the serial killer who has no limits and just goes crazy and like really clever, and in the end he wins by getting in the minds of the detective. Yeah. It's a little like stereotypical that way, but it does it the best out of any other movie that does that. So, I mean, if anything, it set the benchmark for things that would do that later. <laughs> I agree. Kind of like True Detective Season 1. 
I feel like watching Stop. True Detective season what? one is a lot like watching seven. <laughs> no spoilers. I'm not spoiling anything. I just said it was like seven. <laughs> like thematic. I mean, there's a box too. There's no. Is there boxes? I don't remember. No, stop. I don't know. There might is be boxes. There? Have you seen it, Ryan? Yeah, or why is he freaking out? What? No, obviously I haven't. If I would want you to not spoil but You should, though. True Detective is amazing. But the fact the that you care, are you intending to watch it? I mean, correct. When? You both should watch why? it. It's very good. At some point, I don't know. I'm currently watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, I love that show. That's Thanks. that's beside the point. Um, I could talk all day about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But we're here Bro, to talk I'm about David Fincher, detective guys. shows, mysteries that get solved. Okay, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is not a very good example because most of it is just funny. Bro, they solve mysteries almost every episode, man. Uh, you just don't see it. I mean, kind of, but it's not. They solve a lot of mysteries. They solve a lot of crimes. Bro, they're um. It's, it's not important. I like that show. They're um, in witness protection in Florida right now. It's wild. Hmm. What about you, Ryan? What did you like about Seven? I agree with Lily what you were saying about it was always raining, it was always bleak. The world building aspect of it, I thought, was the most uh, impressionable bit of it. Like, that's what I remember the most because I haven't seen it recently since whenever I first watched it, which you guys, I think, were the ones who got me to watch it. Um, You're welcome. Because we said, yeah. "What's in the box?" So <laughs> and I said, "I don't know what that means." <laughs> My favorite thing to do. <laughs> so anyway, so I thought that was very interesting. I think, like, they never had a name for the city or anything. Like, you never knew where it actually was because it could be any Which, city. Exactly, it could be any city everywhere. Um, and so, all the worst parts you associate with cities are present. But if there was something like New York or anything like that you'd at least be able to associate some good aspects with it. But with this city, because it's fictional and unnamed, you can't. So it's always dreary all the time. And so you identify with Morgan Freeman's character. Is it Somerset is his name? Mm -hmm. Yes. Great name. Anywho, you identify with that man because he wants to get out of the city. And then even as we witness all this trash stuff go on, towards the end, he gets like a tad bit more hopeful. Even after Brad Pitt's character, you know, does his thing and the villain wins, there's still some hope to be found, even with a dreary city like that and a terrible serial killing spree like we witnessed in the film. So that's the part that I liked about it. Were you guys shocked in the end when you found out what was in the box? Very much so. I love that they never, like, they don't ever actually open the box and they don't actually say, like, your girlfriend, like, Kevin Spacey says something like, like sad, her, her pretty little head something. He says something about mm -hmm. like... He like alludes to the fact yeah. that it's her head. And then Morgan Freeman opens the box and he's all disgusted about it. No, 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 no. Morgan Freeman is halfway across. He's over by the car, like halfway across the field. And he, Morgan Freeman is the one who finds out. And he's running to Brad Pitt to get him to stop. Like, because he's like, bro, if he, fi like, if he finds out... He's gonna kill this man, and then yeah, he's Morgan go Freeman to jail. opens the box. Oh, that's what I said. He okay, opens yeah. the box and sees it, and he goes, "Oh no!" And then he runs back and he goes, "Stop listening! Stop listening!" Bro, don't listen to him. That my entire heart the whole time. Oh, man, oof, it's crazy. Good and movie. to think, Good like, 
What's crazy is that all his victims are the seven deadly sins, including himself and Mills. And Gwyneth Paltrow was not one of those seven. She was the only light in this whole city. Yeah. And he took her anyway. You know, that scene when he walked into the precinct and was saying detective. That's what I was thinking. Detective. That, detective. <laughs> that was such a good scene. That was great. That is a great scene because you can see him. He's got all the blood all over him and nobody's like noticing because nobody, nobody like looks and stares at someone intensely enough to notice like he's covered in blood. And so he's just walking in and they're just talking about the case and they're like, here's how we're going to get him. Here's how we're going to get him. And you're just like, he's right there, man. Turn around. Yeah. It's crazy. Like very suspenseful. I think that's that's part of why I think the movie's so good. It's because you have like all of that coming together in the end. Like that was his plan was to like show everyone all of the sins in the city. Yeah, and he had um Gwyneth Paltrow's whatever her character's name was, her blood on him at that time. Which you only find out later, which is oof. It's also cool when David Fincher really like showcases the themes and how like the mood of the movie right in the beginning with the opening credits that are like super punk, like intense rock and roll music playing with like the scratchy note cards and like the gross, like grotesque experimental. Is this the one? Is this the one where at the end the credits roll like down, like they they come down from the top? Maybe, I don't know. I think it is. I don't know why I said. I gotta be more assertive. It is this one, and I, that's cool. If you're speaking more on... Like, the opening credits, yes, I 100% agree with you. There's, like, three minutes of opening credits, which is, like, kind of a long time, but it de- it definitely helps set the mood. I agree with you. It's like his own little short film that he put at the beginning just to get you in, like, that per- certain mood. Because it has yeah. nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Like, the rest of the movie is, like, very similar, but it's never that, like, crazy, except for maybe, like, one or two scenes. But he puts you in the mood immediately so that you're ready for it and you know what to expect but at the same time you don't (laughs) so it's really good soon after seven he made a little movie called fight club (laughs) never heard of it is that your favorite of all time lily um for me i hate saying that because it's such a like i feel like it's a cliche thing and it's things that like she's a film bro <laughs> yeah it's the things that like 17 year old boys say it's their favorite movie but i, I, I fight club. you know what i'm saying bro but i really i very much enjoy fight club and it's definitely i don't think i'm allowed to say it's my favorite movie um and there's probably a couple others that will contend but definitely like top five i very much enjoy fight club well, Did you guys ever read the book it's based it? on? Huh? No, but I want to. The author of that, he also wrote some short story called Guts, which if you want to, I don't know, have a squeamish evening one night, it's a great thing to read. I you read didn't? the book, and I like the movie more. Yeah, I, the honest. the author himself was like, bro, the he movie's said, so yeah, good. Yeah, the movie's better. <laughs> He's like, I didn't even yeah. think it could be this good, bro. And I think that's so funny. I've never heard anyone say that, like specifically the author. About yeah. anything that's based on a book. It's so funny. Chuck the movie's Halloway is yeah. the author's name, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. crazy. Especially when you look back. There's so many scenes that you completely forget. Like, because there's so many iconic ones. It's like, the one I always remember that I used to never remember 
was the scene where Edward Norton's like trying to go to his happy place and he's in like the ice cave with the penguin, the CGI penguin. <laughs> and, and then the CGI Marlin's penguin like there. says something to him and then like swims away on the ice and it's like, what? <laughs> and you just completely forget about that scene because it's like insignificant compared to some of the other ones. Yeah, like the rest of the movie. <laughs> It's so yeah. it's so wild that you forget about all the little ones. Now, Lillian, you put this on our script. You said this was very personal to you. Elaborate. Um. Okay. So when oh, this was your emo time. When Edward Norton, yeah. When Edward Norton says, "I am Jack's complete lack of surprise," I felt that. <laughs> I love that where he's talking about like the different parts of Jack. There, it's like there's even more of that in the book, and I just love reading it and hearing it. I am Jack's left nipple. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so funny. There are parts that are hilarious. My favorite scene is when Edward Norton hears like Tyler and what's her name? Marla? Marla. Yeah. They're having sex upstairs and he like goes upstairs and he knocks on the door to get him to be quiet. And Brad Pitt opens the door naked with like a rubber glove. Oh my God. I forgot about that. And I remember seeing that and just bursting out laughing. It was so Mm -hmm. funny. Oh my god! I completely forgot about that. That was like, there's something with that too, like during filming or something. Like it wasn't scripted or something. Yeah, and then the studio, the studio exec was like, "You can't have that." There were so many times where the studios were just like, "You can't do that." Like there was a line that I want to have your abortion. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Marla said said something. Her original line was something like. No, no, no. Okay. She said, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Yes. The original line just... was, I want to have your abortion. Yeah. And David Fincher, <laughs> David Fincher was like, or no, the studio was like, you can't say that. And David Fincher was like, fine, but whatever I change it to, that one's staying. And the studio was like, fine, it can't possibly be worse than, <laughs> it can't possibly be worse than, I want to have your abortion. And then he, he said, <laughs> So it's the funniest like thing. It's grade school. It's so funny. It's a great one. They said, cannot possibly be worse. <laughs> when oh you guys God. watched the movie, did you think Brad Pitt was just the coolest guy ever? Yes. Me too. Who didn't? For a while, Tyler Still Durden do. was my wallpaper on my phone back in like... Stop. Freshman year <laughs> of high school. Don't oh, expose me. Was that you too? <laughs> freshman year he was just so cool yeah, yeah i was around there he was so cool in that movie i mean the way he just makes soap and then just like burns the guy hand oh, oh. <laughs> the guy hand, guy hand. <laughs> the guy. that scene was crazy that was rough Bro. whole movie's a little bit rough that's true but that one in particular i was like oh my lord yeah the torture of that scene uh, but Dylan, what do you think that says of Tyler Durden being the the narrator the, the whole time? Cool, suave. Oh. Well, not too. Hello. Well, it's what the narrator um, the cool, wants suave, to man. be like. It's what he's always wanted to be was this cool guy that like doesn't care about anything, doesn't care about the rules. He just likes to fight and go against the man. Lives in the moment. Lives in the <laughs> moment. And then the narrator sort of realizes that this isn't really the person he wants to meet because it's like too much. It's too much. Um, anarchy it's too much like craziness that's happening to him and so he's got to like put an end to it 
And I remember him elaborating about how, like, um, he has an insomniac and he never gets enough sleep. And that's because when he thinks he's sleeping, he's really Tyler. <laughs> yeah. So he's still awake. I love that. And that's just, like, crazy to think about. Am I asleep? Because he's, like, the whole time, Edward Norton has, like, these, like, hollowed out eyes. And, like, Have I he's slept? so tired the whole time. It's just so hypnotic sometimes, especially the office scenes where he's just, it's just such oh, bland lighting. Cornflower oh blue. Yeah, that was funny. But the scene where he's beating himself up in front of his boss. I love that scene. That's hilarious. And then he says something like, I was reminded of Tyler and I's first fight for some reason. Because he was beating himself up then too, bro. I know, yeah. yeah. About that twist, did you all see that one coming? I think when you first watched. I did not. I can't remember. It's been so long since I first watched it. I first watched it when I was a very. It was one of the first movies I remember like watching and loving. <laughs> what I the heck? Steal like, my whole life, Dylan. <laughs> ten or eleven. <laughs> I was like ten or eleven or something, and it was on what? somewhere, or like I had the copy. You're such of it or a something. baby. It was, I was so young when I first watched Fight Club. I swear. That's wild. And so I don't think There's I knew. There's nudity in that Dylan. Ten. There was. And I was like, it was probably older than that. And I was like, like elementary school. I was probably yeah, older than that. Honestly, no it was probably way. sometime in middle school. I guarantee it was middle school because I remember I was the first person to make like the Fight Club jokes. Like, guys, we don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> like, I was the first person to do that. So I, mean, I, was, I was doing it before it was cool. I think so. everybody knew. Like, I had definitely heard first rule of Fight Club: don't talk about Fight Club. I had definitely heard that before I saw the movie, before I knew it was from a movie, before I knew what the movie was even remotely about. Like, I genuinely assumed that Fight Club... My mom put on Fight Club one time, and she was like, do you want to watch this? And I was like, okay. But I genuinely thought that it was going to be... Like, because the only thing that I had heard about this movie was don't talk about Fight Club, I was like, it's all about fighting. And so I assumed it was going to be like a dumb boxer movie or something like that. So I was not excited to watch it, and then I was so I was very enthralled. I remember talking to Joe about Fight Club because he been he's been listening to um, some interviews about Fight Club, and he was talking about how they were talking about that Fight Club was one of the first, one of the only movies where like it's about men and their masculinity, and like a lot of men don't have those kinds of movies where they can talk about like being a man and being like having those emotions of being a man and like talking about your emotions through and like in this case it's through violence and he's like the only other movie that does that is dead poet society Aww. and I it's such an dead interesting comparison between the two but it's kind of true yeah. it's like fight club is mostly a male cast dead poet society is mostly a male cast and it's about the the masculinity of the characters in two different extremes sort of and how they like express those emotions of being a man which is so interesting hmm. to like think about your take on that, Ryan? That is very interesting. No, I 100% agree. Uh, and I think that goes with some of the other themes like consumerism and whatnot. There was a lot. I can't remember them off my, the top of my head. <laughs> but a lot of like Brad Pitt. Some Masculinity, of consumerism, that, disillusionment, living in the well, present. Well, yeah, not the themes. Support. I meant no, 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 no. I meant I the themes that right. <laughs> I know. I meant the things that Brad Pitt said in the film, his line. That were like, we're, oh, we were oh. born in a consumerist society or whatever. He's like, we didn't have no Great Depression. Our Great Depression's our lives. Stuff like that. Yeah. But also where they're saying like, they were a generation raised by women. They had no father figures. 
God was a father. He also left. What does that tell you? Mm-hmm. So things like that, where they feel isolated, um, the consumer society, and they feel like drones going to work all the time doing that. So they felt like they had no release. They had uh, no outlet. And so that's why in the beginning, the narrator is going to those emotional support groups, which I thought was very interesting. Um, like that was just a cool idea. But then because that isn't a real outlet and when Marla comes in, he realizes that like he's just faking with them. So he wanted to get a stronger taste of actual release of actual feeling of pain. So that's why they do the fight club. So I thought those like undercurrents to the film were very fascinating and interesting. Did you guys hear the story of how Chuck Palahniuk came up with the story, the, the original author? Mm-mm. No. He was like camping with some friends or something and he got into a fight with some other campers just like on accident. Like one of them ended up punching him in the face. And so he had like a black eye or something or maybe a fat lip. And he went back to work on Monday. And oh, he yeah. Was like, afraid of being like having to talk about it he was embarrassed and nobody, nobody talked about asked it. him nobody asked him about it everyone just ignored it nobody wanted to know how he got that injury and that sort of like plays into the characters like you have all these people who are like the lower class citizens all with like bandages and whatnot like you have the waiters have like beaten up faces and he's walking into his own job and he looks beaten up and so it's just like nobody wants to talk about that i guess nobody wants to talk about be getting angry and fighting and like why were you in a fight nobody wants to know why they can see clearly that you were in a fight and they don't need to know why you know it's like Lily, especially like strangers in your post feminist theory class mindset mm-hmm. what do you think about this film and its comments on masculinity and all that um i really I never made the connection until you just said it with, like, the emotional support group and all of, like, I didn't, like, consciously register that. And now I am I am processing. I guess, like, I think a lot of, like, definitely about toxic mas- masculinity, I think a lot of the movie is, like, literally, like, Fight Club is... <laughs> Satirizing it, yeah. Fight. Um, but you're right. I forgot when, when Tyler says, like, all of that stuff. It's really it makes me like the movie more. But what do you guys think of Baby Jared Leto? Oh my uh, gosh, <laughs> Angel Face. Um, poor baby, but it's that's also a very interesting thing of like, like when 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 he beats him up, he's just like, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. <laughs> it is Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, that, what was, about, that was rough. Sorry, go ahead. One of my favorite supporting characters is Bob. His yeah. name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> mm-hmm. What did you guys think of Meatloaf making a, a very strange appearance in this movie? Do you think it was a good performance? <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. It was all right. <laughs> Meatloaf's a crazy dude, but the fact that he was in this, it's just insane to think about. Yeah. Apparently, his quote-unquote bitch tits That's good. sandbags or were something. like bags of seed i think that they like threw on him and they weighed a lot like <laughs> so much but that's wow. one of my favorite i think oh i forgot my favorite scene 
It has to be my favorite. Just when they're all dressed up as waiters and they take like the police commissioner into the bathroom <laughs> and they threaten to cut off his balls. That's insane. Why is that your favorite? <laughs> because it's like they're unstoppable now. They've gotten they like someone tried to shut them down and they could have worked they could have worked their way up to the top, but they went straight to the top because he knew they knew that it would work its way down if they could get to him and they got to him in the most intense way possible. Plus Brad Pitt is so good in that scene. He's (laughs) just so it's just his his like dry sense of humor, and you can see that in like the Quentin Tarantino movies he's been in. Do not fuck with us. Yes. Yeah. So good. That's good. That also comments, I think, on the whole emasculation thing that they're going through is everyone, so many people get threatened with their balls getting cut off. Like that almost happens to the narrator in the end. You're right. In uh, the Popo, they had him strapped down and he was like, he was like, no, 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 please don't. I'm ordering you to stop. He's like, you said you would say that. Yeah. Bro, that's my, that's, crazy. that's probably my favorite part when when like the entire world comes crashing down and and Marla's like, is that a pretty accurate description of our relationship, Tyler? And then it's go, and then he visits all of the cities that he visited as Tyler and he just like can't do anything because they're all like, "Mm, you said you'd say that. Or like, (laughs) you told us this would happen. And so there's like, like, what do you do when you, like you screwed yourself over so like extensively of, like, how do you get out of that? That's, That's crazy. philosophical, man. I love, like, the jitteriness that I'm, like, residually feeling now. Like, when you watch that and you're like, oh, no, what like what what can he do? Like, how is he going to stop this? And, like, everything that he tries, he's like, I already planned for that. It's wild. Hmm. Well, I Definitely. love Fight So club. did you know? Oh. I'm sorry to cut you oh, off. You, you go ahead. You go ahead. When did y'all, did you... Did the twist rock your world? Or as he had said, the cabin pressure. We have lost cabin pressure. <laughs> Bro, absolutely. Did y'all see it coming at any point? Did not, did or not. Right when he said it. I don't remember, but I probably didn't. No. I I don't think I'd heard it beforehand. So like I said, my mom my mom put it on and was like, Hey, do you want to watch this? I think you would actually like it. And I was I was fourteen. It was my freshman it was the summer before my freshman year of high school and it was like nine o'clock. Like we had just, we had just gotten home from like my mom just got home or something. It was like a Friday night. Um, and somebody, I don't remember how, but we got like the special edition. My mom like saw it at Walmart or something and we got a special edition, like in a metal case or whatever of fight club. And I was like, what is the significance of this movie? And she was like, you want to watch it? I think you'd like it. And then I watched it. Um, but so my mom, like I watched it with my mom. And in the first like 15, 20 minutes, you see Ty- like Brad Pitt dressed up as Tyler. You see him like flash on screen like five times. And I like I would see it and be like, what was that? Like I'd ask my mom out loud, what, what was that? And she'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Cause like how how is she supposed to like looking back? I understand like what am I supposed to say? Is like what was that? What was that? Oh well, you see at the end it turns out like he's it's all imagine like what, what are you supposed to say to that? So I just like I I pretty much like anytime I'm watching a movie I usually like suspend 
my questions. Like anytime, anytime something doesn't work out, I don't like, I just go, huh, that's weird. And then continue mindlessly watching the movie. Cause I don't, I don't know. Like if I'm sitting there thinking about it, I'm not like experiencing it. I feel like, and not to say that other people can't like think and experience at the same time, but I tend to, I tend to not do that. So I, I absolutely had no idea. I was completely, yeah, got that. The, the, the Tyler. I love that part. It's so, (laughs) it breaks my whole life. Very good. Very good twist. I love twist endings. Did it, did it shock you, Ryan? I think you already knew about it beforehand. Um, no, I didn't know when I first watched it. Really? Obviously on a rewatch that I just did like the other night. I did. Um, but yeah, well, I, I think I knew going into it that the splicing thing of Brad Pitt, that that happens, but I didn't know why. Oh. And then I thought later in the film when he like explained his backstory of why he splices things, like he did that in the family friendly films. Oh, yes. <laughs> to splice porn in there. Um, I was like, oh, okay. So that's what was going on. That's I was so like, that's funny. cool. Um, so yeah, so I didn't, I never knew that the twist was that he was actually the same person until like right up until where he was like, is this another test? The bar waiter, barkeep dude Mm -hmm. that first told him, he was like, your name's Tyler Durden. Like right before then it crossed my mind. I was like, what is happening? Is it him? Is he himself? And then they like said the line. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. And then rewatching recently, seeing all the clues, like the narration things, the time where Tyler would say something and then the narrator would repeat it. <laughs> and he would be like, those were Tyler's words. I was like, dang, this man really yeah. was all throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Definitely feel It's that. interesting to see that Marla, Tyler, and the narrator are never all in the same room at the same time. <laughs> that was also a very interesting thing to point out. Hmm. Is that he only felt he could only be Tyler around her. Like he had to create the Tyler identity to be around her in certain ways. And then he got jealous of himself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's like the whole, the whole point is that Tyler is like who he wants to be. Yeah. Or who he. Great movie. Fantasizing. Yeah. About the ending. Uh What did y'all think of that? Where everything still gets blown up. You caught me at a really yeah, weird time in my it. life. <laughs> yeah. What did that leave y'all with? What feeling? What ideas? Okay, first of all, how'd a man going to shoot himself in the mouth and not die? <laughs> I think he shot himself through the cheek, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Which... And not die. Well, I mean, that won't kill you. It'll just hurt like a bitch, and then you're going to bleed a lot, which is, I don't know how he was still talking. I feel like there would be blood gargling around in his mouth, but I'm not a doctor, so what do I know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. it. It looks like he has the gun all the way up in his mouth, so when yeah. he shoots himself, you're kind of like, oh my god, he shot himself. But I think there's a shot where he like turns his face and the bullet's through his cheek. Yeah. But I think, I think it's more think about the symbolic the nature. I'm pretty sure they use like Matrix type like rubbery face to do that shot you know what i'm talking about when he actually shoots himself and it like goes through his cheek and his cheek gets all like and you like watch the bullet go through it Mm. i'm pretty sure that's like the matrix style i think it's more about the symbolic nature of just killing off tyler because there's no other way to do it you have to be you and just accept who you are and then no other persona no matter how cool he is 
<laughs> can't be you. Especially when he's a terrorist. <laughs> he said, we blow up all the credit card companies and they'll have no record of our debt. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It reminds me of like Y2K. Like, it's just like... It came out in 1999. The computers. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that same kind of energy of... Start fresh. If we destroy the computers, we win. I don't know. Y'all know what I'm... Y'all picking up what I'm putting down. Very good movie. Anyway, the next movie we wanted to talk about was... The Social Network, which yeah. is my favorite David Fincher movie. Is it really? Oh. Yeah. I love the. I, I watched about? it recently for the yeah. first time. Oh, what? Um, it was one of Barry's screenings. Yeah. Lab, that was your first like, time? Yeah. Oh, my I watched goodness. It with Spencer. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it wasn't available on Netflix before. That's why I never got the chance, but it's on there now. <laughs> that's and so also, I bought it. So, yeah. I really loved it. Like I love the way the story's told. I love the characters. It's it could have been such a boring story, but I mean it's written by Aaron Sorkin, the man himself. <laughs> and so the dialogue is so witty and back and forth, like mixed with David Fincher's like really dark storytelling and like the music from um the guys from Nine Inch Nails. I mean, <laughs> it all just sort of combines into this really edgy, powerful 2000s movie you know even though it came out in 2010 it was about 2000s and it's just so cool like so many cool things happen especially like the club scene where you first like one of the first times you meet Justin Timberlake ah <laughs> uh, the club scene is so cool like I remember th- like continuously thinking about the scene where like there's a shot where the camera just swoops over the entire party and the music is just thumping and thumping and thumping <laughs> and everyone's going crazy and I was like Am I missing out in college? Because this is crazy. <laughs> Dylan, where you did um, Beckler play Social Network along with yes. yes. Yeah. In sound design. Because that was also yeah. my first experience with it. And I watched what? it a couple months ago, actually. That's crazy. Um, Myself when it was on Netflix. I love that scene where they pass the note all the way back to them and he opens it up <laughs> and it says, You suck. <laughs> and he like cries. The music music is so sad, and it just says "you suck." (laughs) It looks like someone made. It looks like someone like edited and make it a joke so that it says "you suck" instead of something different. But that's actually (laughs) just what it is. It's so funny. That's so funny. Oh my god! I laugh out loud every time I see it. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, Social Network is definitely like I think I've heard the most people. Like I've heard a lot of of the people in the film department talk about how much they love the social network. So it is it's interesting that you guys had not seen it until recently. I'm pretty sure pretty sure I saw it in theaters and then I saw it a couple times after like I've seen it very many times. You were 10? Across. I want to say so. Like I remember seeing it on the big screen. That's insane. What were your impressions of it? Um, I definitely like it. I very much. I really like Jesse Eisenberg, so that helped. He's I also like Andy he's Garfield. such a. Me too. He's so good in that movie. Yeah. He really is. Such a sweetheart. Poor baby. Andrew Garfield got snubbed at the Oscars that year. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. He wasn't even nominated. Oh. I think he should well, have at least gotten a nomination one. for it. He got the Golden Globe nomination, I think. Which sucks. 
he was such a good supporting character. Like it, it, he didn't like steal any light away from Zuckerberg. It was more about like supporting Zuckerberg's performance and like sealing off the kind of person he was portrayed as in that movie. And I really liked that. Andrew Garfield was really good in this movie. I mean, <laughs> exemplary. I didn't know who he was. Go ahead. You didn't know who he was? No, I didn't know who Andrew Garfield was. Well, like, at 10, yeah. I saw... Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw The Social Network, and then I saw Spider-Man, and then, like, five years after... Sp- okay, probably not that long. But, like, a good amount of time after, like, the new Amazing Spider-Man came out... It was like I just happened to be watching the social network like it was on or we watched it with my mom or something like that. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, that's Andrew Garfield. And I was like, I had no idea this whole time. So it's interesting that he made such an impression on y'all because he very much did not on me. <laughs> but again, that could be like that could be a result of like because I like if we have those kind of like. um like Dylan, you and me with with like Seven and Fight Club of like having seen them at a younger mm-hmm. age and like grown attached to them, um, and then like watching it now and being like, well, now that I'm like older and more informed, mature, yeah, things like that. You like you kind of see things differently. I feel like it's yeah. kind of like that with the Social Network, and because you guys never had that like that first impression, like baby impression. I think it's a really it's a really interesting, um phenomenon that y'all love it so much and i'm just kind of like it's good <laughs> i like it you guys, think, fascinating. you guys think mark zuckerberg really like that in real life i don't know but it made me not like him i was yeah. like if mark zuckerberg is really like this screw him but it also doesn't help that his like whole point in this film was we're not putting ads we're keeping it free blah 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 and then like two years ago he's before congress because he sold everyone's information yeah <laughs> For to advertising companies, you guys remember so when Andrew Garfield fed his chicken chicken? <gasps> Stop! Wait, that was so funny. That was that. so funny. He said, "I didn't know." He said, "You're getting kicked off the honor, whatever." Yeah. Academic probation, oh something like it that. Was so funny. <laughs> Do you think Mark planted the story? He said, "I didn't know." Probably. <laughs> I love in the end, though, the last scene where he's still trying to get that friend request from that one girl. I hate that. I genuinely hate that. It's the cringiest thing ever. I like it in the context of this. I hate it in reality, but I like the context of the story. I don't even think it's real. Like, I I don't think he ever got in contact with her or anything. But I just like, like, thematically in the story, I like how it's, like, full circle. I agree. I think it works for him because he is so lonely and he just sold out his only friend. Yeah. And that scene where he talks to Justin Timberlake and he's like, you did this for a girl, didn't you? And like Justin Timberlake, like, yeah, man. He's like, do you ever think about her? And he's like, no. <laughs> I remember that. Bro. You guys remember Brenda's song being in this movie? Oh my yeah. God. She's crazy. She's crazy you in this see movie. She was burning down his yeah. apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Garfield's like having the, like a serious conversation with Jesse Eisenberg on the phone and she's just like lighting things on oh, fire. And, and I Andrew do Garfield's like, that. uh, uh, uh. It's like, no, 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 wait. He bought her a present beforehand, too, after coming back from the trip. She burns the present. It was, it was the present, yeah. yeah. It was a shirt or something. It was, some, it was like, it was, it was a scarf, I think. And he burns it. He she burns the scarf. And just drops it and walks out. And he goes, oh my God. <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah, there's something. What? 
What's the question? I was about to say, what was y'all's favorite part of the film? But if you have something else to say, the go. music. The music was my favorite part. Wow. I was just going to say. What you love about it? Oh. It's just so not what you'd expect from this kind of movie. But it works perfectly. It's like a movie about this tech-savvy guy who's like, just starts to, becomes ruthless as he creates this billionaire empire of like, social <laughs> networking. And it's just so, it's like, it's techno music in a way. Not techno, but like, it's electronic. and it, But it's also dark. And it has a lot of like themes in it that come back and forth throughout the movie. And I just really like enjoyed listening to the music as I watched the movie, especially in the first scene where he's running from like the bar all the way back to his dorm just to like do this vengeful thing against the girl that broke up with him. Then he just mm-hmm. like has this plain look on his face while he's doing it. And then it cuts between that and like the frat party of the finals club he wants to get into. And the same music is still running through. It's crazy. I honestly cannot recall the music or even like the tone. So it's interesting. It's like piano is like the main instrument that comes in through most of the score. And then everyone's most like that nine inch nails sort of like electronic, just that like push of sound that waves over you almost. And it's so cool. All right. I guess I'll rewatch the social network, (laughs) y'all. Maybe it'll be different. A, what did you like about the social network, Ryan? I really liked the Sorkin dialogue. It's very hard to follow sometimes. That man always has his people go so quick. And I think also because it was such a long movie, I think Fincher had told the actors to read their lines quicker and quicker <laughs> just so that the runtime run time could be squeezed. Because, you know, Fincher's always trying to deal with the studio execs. He's trying to protect his vision. So he wanted everything in there, but he was like, okay, but we got to, we got to hurry it up a little bit. But the very first scene where they're in the bar and they're talking, yeah, there's like three different times where he's saying something and she's responding to something he said a minute ago. And they're like having two separate conversations at once. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh my God. Yeah. That put me in the. Like you had said with Seven, uh, where he Fincher started out something and it put you in that tone that would carry throughout the movie. That was that scene in Social Network, and I thought it was done perfectly. So mm. that was my standout scene. And also when Andrew Garfield started yelling at Zuckerberg at the end, and then he flinched, punching Justin Timberlake, and he was like, "I like being around you. You make me look so tough." <laughs> oh my god! Great line. It really was. Yeah. He got the last laugh. I like how the story sort of intercuts with like the scenes, the different scenes of him being in court or like in mediation with yeah. the lawyers and stuff. And you're like, how did he get here with these people? Especially the guy that we think is his best friend. How does this like, I agree with that. work into it? And like, they are almost like telling the story along with the story. And so it just like kind of goes back and forth. And I kind of like that a lot. <laughs> Very well written. Aaron Sorkin's great. Is what a duo, Fincher and Sorkin. Yeah, I like Sorkin and Boyle decade. too. Danny Boyle when they made Steve Jobs, I love that movie. <laughs> so it also much. had a good structure to it, where it, it was, was just very like engaging. three 
It was like three main events, and that's the whole movie. And then they did it by doing two weeks of rehearsal, and then two weeks of shooting, and then two weeks of rehearsal, and two weeks of shooting, and two weeks of rehearsal, and two weeks of shooting for each of the events. Hmm. And it's like, that's crazy, but it's like such a good idea because the whole movie is like runs like a play, and so the actors need that rehearsal space to practice, and it's so cool. I love that movie so much. So, Lillian, you wanted to talk about Panic Room and Zodiac for a little bit, right? I did, just a little bit. Um I think it's actually crazy. I think a lot of, of David Fincher's films, I think a lot of them have a same like dry humor kind of feel to them. Um, and I think like the panic room, I was really, I'm not a big scary movie person. And so I didn't watch panic room for the longest time, but like with Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart as like a Kristen's little baby child, Little, little teenager um and it's about like a home invasion and i was like bro i don't need it i don't need this kind of nightmare me and my mom like i don't need this kind of thing but my mom was like no it's actually good like it's not it's not that it's like it's not scary so you like you can watch it and so i watched it and it's actually like like i thought it was going to be like jump scare scary but it's not like the the home invader guy himself is like funny like genuinely like the same kind of dry humor funny and so it's a it's a good watch, a good like like thriller because you're like, oh, how is she, like how are they gonna, you know, survive this? But it's not like it's not like them like screaming and crying in in like in the panic room for an hour or whatever. It's it's like okay, the guy is here, and we need to get here, or we need to do this. How are we gonna do that? So it's it's whatever category of like thriller movie that I actually enjoy that's not it's not like a horror movie but like there's some like plot or like like I really like um oh my mm. god what's it called the one with the videotape the ring I really like the ring oh, like really yeah and I know that it's like I know that there there are parts of it where it's like just straight up horror but I really like the fact that she has to like go on the detective like that she finds all these clues and stuff like that. Like that is the part that I very much enjoy. And the fact that like, I understand the need for like the scary element to like put the pressure on like finding all of the evidence. And then it turns out it's like, Oh no. But like, I love, I very much enjoy the ring and I like, it's very scary and definitely like not something I would watch at night, but I very much like that movie. And in the same way, well, not the same way. The ring is very, a lot scarier than this. This is just kind of funny of like, Yo, how do you get... And it's very... I think it's a very, like, girl power movie. Or not girl power, but, like... Like, Jodie Foster is definitely, like, a strong protagonist. And so they, like, figure out how to get the guy out. So it's really... I'll have to... It's a good movie. I'll have to check that out. Never seen Panic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah, she's, like, 10 years old, bro. Like, 12 years old. She's a little baby. She's like a teenage daughter, and, yeah. Oh, and you also really like Zodiac? Yes, I very much like Zodiac. I, I've i seen that one. Okay, so some people are like obsessed with serial killers. I am not in any way, shape, or form obsessed with any serial killer except for the Zodiac killer. Like, I don't, I don't even know what Jeffrey Dahmer did. I, like, I genuinely I could not tell you. Um, he ate people. He had really? um, 
he raped young men and then killed them and I think he ate part of them, I think. Oh dear. I'm pretty sure he was one of the cannibal killers. One of. Nice. <laughs> um yeah, I don't like I don't really that's not a thing that I'm into, but I really loved the Zodiac movie. Um Yeah, he was known as the Milwaukee cannibal. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Dang. Um, yeah, did not did not know any of that. Remember when Ross Lynch played Jeffrey Dahmer? Um, was that in the Justin Bieber movie? No, that was in Ross Lynch's movie about Jeffrey Dahmer. What's the um maybe it's not Justin Bieber, but I think it is. Oh, I do mean Zach Efron. Oh shoot. Yeah, I did mean Zach. It's called something. It's like a cute title name. It's like he doesn't watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Evil and vile. And incredibly close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Have either of you seen Zodiac? I've seen Zodiac. Okay. I really oh, like you both did. Oh, yay! I like the the effort that was put into making it look like it was the '60s and all that. Yeah. And I like I like all the actors in it. All the actors are mm-hmm, so good. Mm-hmm. And like. Every once in a while, it like takes a break and shows him kill someone, and it's like, whoa, yeah, he did that. He really did that. That's like crazy stuff. <laughs> What's crazy is like the first three different times they show the killer doing something, it's three different actors. Oh, that's fun. They kept they they kept getting different actors, so you wouldn't you wouldn't be like see a different guy and be like, oh, he's the same body type as the guy who just did it. It was like a different person. That's wild. Um, also, uh, what's his name? I gotta look up. You keep talking. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was another movie. I mean, I think I like it for kind of the same reasons that I like Seven, where it's like John Carroll Lynch. Sorry, oh, oh, yes. He's so good. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Oh my god, he's so, he's like the smallest role in this entire movie, and he's like one of the best parts. But also, there's that other that other three named guy who does a lot of stuff, and he like. He plays the guy that they insinuate is the actual Zodiac killer at the end, at the very end. It's another three named dude. I want to say Aaron something. I think they insinuated it was John Carroll Lynch at the end. Uh. The only other guy that you think might be him is when Jake Gyllenhaal goes to that guy who make like collects movie posters and he goes in the basement. Oh, <laughs> you know the guy who plays. You know who the guy is who plays that guy who owns the basement? It's Roger Rabbit. Stop. Don't do this to me. It's so funny. Oh, I am thinking it of is. John Carroll Lynch, but I was thinking of like the actual guy's name, Arthur Lee Allen. Like I was in my head, I was oh, like, yeah. that is Arthur Lee Allen. <laughs> That's so no, funny. No, John Carroll Lynch plays Arthur Lee Allen, yeah. but oh, he's so good in this movie. It's so funny. Yeah, I um. I very much, I just, maybe I just like mysteries, I don't know. But I was like, yeah, I think like the suspense in this movie and in Seven is both very, very well done. Um, And I actually, like, I liked the movie so much and the fact that it was like real, that I was like, who is the Zodiac Killer? And so the guy that that Jake Gyllenhaal plays in this movie, um, Richard Graysmith, he... Like Robert Christmas. Oh, Robert. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. You're right. 
he um he wrote like so this movie is based on the book that he wrote because he was like a journalist guy looking into the case and he like so i read his actual book and it like it only gets crazier like the number of times that they were so close to like having evidence and then something like got messed up it's wild like it's genuinely this is the only thing that i've been like do you think that ted cruz is the zodiac bro the timeline doesn't match up and you know it (laughs) (laughs) i just thought that was the funniest thing yeah honestly because that was happening that whole like movement was happening when i first watched zodiac oh and the whole time i'm sitting there thinking ted cruz is under that mask i just know (laughs) i just know he's underneath that mask that's so funny no that's a great movie before or way after i watched it i always forget mark ruffalo's in it what because i always think of jake gyllenhaal and robert downey jr yeah that's fair but i i love mark ruffalo in this one mark ruffalo's very good the straight man um well anyway we love david fincher yeah i just want to say i think they all have the same kind of um yeah we think david fincher's amazing we love him we're excited to see mank hopefully coming out later this year if theaters can open up hopefully it won't get pushed back too far because it sounds like a really good movie it's supposed to be in black and white and everything oh which you know automatically makes it 10 percent better now i know what you're talking about Mank? Yeah. I like couldn't put yeah. my finger on it until you said it was in black and white. <laughs> this is a new movie coming out with Gary Oldman. Yeah. I hope it's good. I'll see it. I love all of his movies. I love his shows. He's a good producer, good director. Makes great music videos. <laughs> Thank you, David Fincher. Wait, what about our movie of the week? Exactly. Before we go, <laughs> we're going to talk about the movie of the week, which is 12 Angry Men. Yeah. I love 12 Angry Men. Oh my god, I love 12 Angry Men. I recently read a book by Sidney Lumet, who's the director of 12 Angry Men, called Making Movies. And it's the whole book is just about his process of how he makes a movie from start to finish. And he like uses all his movies as examples. And when he talks about lenses and the different lenses you use for different scenes and what their purposes are and like filters and all that, it's so cool. He like brings up 12 Angry Men and how he like starts getting he takes the camera and as the story continues he's like lowering the camera and then pushing in and up so you see the ceiling and it's like enclosing around the characters who keep fighting and it gives you this claustrophobic feeling because like now their whole faces are covering the screen (laughs) and like the walls are around them and if you haven't seen 12 angry men it's basically about 12 jurors who are deciding the fate of a young boy like if they convict him guilty then he's going to be sent to the chair and if he's innocent, he gets set free. And they're trying to determine. They all think he's guilty except for Henry Fonda at the beginning, who is not. Con- he has reasonable doubt. And that's what it's all about. It's like there's reasonable doubt that he didn't do it. We shouldn't send this boy to the chair to die unless we're completely sure. And he's not completely sure. And he like tries to convince everybody. And it's based on a play. So it all takes place in this one room the entire time. It There's like the beginning and the end that take place in different places a little bit. But the bulk of the movie takes place in this one little room and it's hot. The fans don't work. It's like, it's 1957 or so. They're all men and they're all grumpy and like have all these prejudices and they just hash it out for an hour and a half. And it's so cool. 
And one of the things they had to do was because it would take forever to switch setups every time they wanted to cover the next side of a scene just so, so that they could light one wall mm-hmm. differently. Because that's what you do when you're making a movie is you have to – you shoot your the, the side of the scene that you want to shoot and then you turn the camera and you shoot the next side of the scene and you have to set up all of your lights again so that it matches the lighting that was in the previous shot so that it lines up when you edit it. But because the whole movie takes place in this one room and it's all arguments that are constantly shifting from different side to side of the room, they had to they shot it by wall. So they shot all the shots that were going to be lined up on, say, wall A first. <laughs> and then they shot all the, the, the shots that were going to be on wall B and then wall C and then wall D. And so when you're watching the movie, there's like two characters arguing and there's two different shots of like their close ups. And they're like shot weeks apart because <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's how you have to light up each wall. Mm-hmm. But it's just so good. First off, the writing is amazing because, I mean, it was based on a play. It's just so good in general. It's already It was already a famous play at the time. It's an incredibly written story. The actors in the movie are absolutely incredible. Henry Fonda leads the cast, and Henry Fonda is one of the best actors that has ever lived. He's <laughs> phenomenal in this movie i love it i could talk about this movie all day i just watched it yesterday that's why it's the movie of the week but oh my god it's so good it's one of my favorite movies of all time if you have not seen 12 angry men i very highly recommend it it is on amazon prime right now for if you have prime membership you can watch it free 10 out of 10 recommend it's only an hour and a half long it's not long it's all of them arguing about a crime so it's kind of like true crime but it's not true but it's crime and I mean, just the the methods they use to argue, the rhetoric that they use, that Henry Fonda uses, is kind of like Socrates, where he's <laughs> just like questioning everything. He's like, but how can you be sure? How are you right? And like all these guys are getting annoying, like everyone else used to do with Socrates, because <laughs> it's just obnoxious to like question everything. But it's what he does, and it's so good. Oh, so many good moments, so many good shots. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Have you guys seen it? Based on Ryan's silence and my additional silence, I'm gonna go with no. You both should see it. Absolutely, I have been told so good. My mom, I definitely like. I can picture it. Like I know exactly what you're talking about because my mom watched it one time, and I walked through the living room to get something out of the kitchen, and she was watching it. And I I remember watching it for like five minutes, but I was also like 13 years old, and so I was like. What is this? And also, it's like in the middle of the movie, and so I was like, "What are they even arguing about?" And then I was like, "This is weird." Bye. <laughs> but like, I know, like, I can picture the room, like I remember it. So it's iconic. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail We will be returning next week for another special quarantine episode. Thank you so much for listening, and stay safe out there, everybody. (laughs) Stay home.